If you are too senile to stand trial, then you are too senile to be president. It seems pretty basic. If you're too senile to be interviewed during the Super Bowl by CBS News, who's lobbying a bunch of softball questions, then you are too senile to be president. Okay, and I've been very careful. I have not heavily focused on Biden's cognitive abilities or his lack thereof. We've been very careful. However, I'm trying to be sensitive, but this is an issue. This is not personal. This is about the presidency of the United States. And if the reason that he's getting exonerated for mishandling classified documents, if you got Trump with 40 charges over mishandling classified documents and Biden gets exonerated, as we knew that he would, we get a report. And the reason that Biden is not getting charged, according to the special counsel, is because He's not his memory is too weak is because of his lack of cognitive abilities, essentially because of his dementia. Well, then that is fair game. Only in America can a man mishandle classified documents, not just any man, but a former VP. And now the president, every cleaning lady in Delaware had access to sensitive military secrets about Afghanistan and about all sorts of other classified information. It was next to the Corvette in the garage. It was all over Biden's offices. And he doesn't get charged with a crime. Why? Because he's too forgetful. He's too confused. That's literally we're going to read you excerpts from this report. And it's all we get is a report. We never get any charges. Biden's a Democrat. He's too confused to stand trial. He's an old man. He's too forgetful. But he's not too forgetful or confused to have his finger on the nuclear launch buttons. Explain that to me. I mean, literally, if somebody asks me, if I meet somebody not from the United States and they say, oh, what country are you from? The last place I'm going to tell them is I'm an American because it's too humiliating. We're going to have to stick my head in the sand because they're all laughing at us. We're a laughing stop. I'm from Sweden. Okay, I'm from Libya. What about Argentina, that Javier Millet, who got elected president of Argentina, who loves Jews and loves Israel and carries a chainsaw? to symbolize cutting of spending over there. And I know Argentina is not exactly the greatest place to live, but at least it's not a laughing stock. The special counsel concluded his investigation, okay? And the special counsel says in the report, it's all we get is a report. We knew it, all we get is a report. That he, and we have a lot to get to, by the way, of course, Trump with the Supreme Court, and we got some stuff on Elon Musk, and a lot of other, and uh, to, to, to the, the disgraceful, the pathetic, the pitiful House, Republicans in the House could not pass uh, a funding bill for Israel, and also could not pass uh, an impeachment of, of Alejandro Mayorkas. You cannot, you, you cannot get every Republican to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas. If you cannot impeach Alejandro Mayorkas, who on earth could you impeach? It's pitiful, it's disgraceful, but back to this, what Biden willingly broke the law. He willingly took home lots of classified documents, classified information, but he's not going to be charged, quote, because he is too old and his memory is too weak. I mean, it literally gets more surreal by the minute. And by the way, Biden and his the rare public appearances when they let him out of the cave, it is getting so painful to watch at this point. Biden is claiming now to be meeting with foreign leaders who have been deceased for 28 years. No exaggeration there. That's what he said. I mean, it's painful. I, I, it's a very sad situation. I've been careful. I'm not trying to ridicule. I'm not trying to mock the man. I wish that his own people would have pity on him and just let him walk off into the sunset and uh, retain some tiny shred of dignity. It's over because there's no dignity left. But he could have retained a little bit of dignity. That Those days are over. But we got to confront this because he's not fit to be president. It's not about him. It's not anything personal. But the man is not fit to tie his own shoelaces, let alone run the country. Biden, he doesn't know what color the White House is. Okay, Biden, he doesn't know what shape the Oval Office is. 
This week, this week, Biden claimed that he met with two deceased foreign leaders. He also said, by the way, that President al-Sisi of Egypt, he said this Thursday night, he spoke. He gave a little press conference about the classified document scandal. And he actually fielded some questions from reporters. They asked him about Gaza. And he quoted, he talked about his discussions with President al-Sisi of Mexico. He said that President al-Sisi, who's the president of Egypt, by the way, he said President al-Sisi of Mexico. He also claimed this week that he met with Chancellor Helmut Kohl after January 6th, the former chancellor of Germany. The problem is that Helmut Kohl passed away in 2017. Biden claimed that he met with President Francois Mitterrand, the, the former French president, Francois Mitterrand. He said that he had a recent meeting in France with President Mitterrand. The problem is President Mitterrand sadly passed away back in 1996. All right. So we're going to read you excerpts of the special counsel's report. Um, about how Biden is a forgetful old man. Some of these quotes that I'm going to read you from this report are so stunning that they almost feel like they, they, they were tweeted out by Trump himself. They don't feel like they're reading from a DOJ report. They feel like they were literally Trump tweets. The report makes it very clear, like I said, Biden knew this was not an oversight. He claims that somehow his staff messed up and he should have been more on top. But no, 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 no. The report says, and they interviewed Biden for a long time, and it says that he knew that he was keeping... He specifically chose which classified documents he wanted to keep. They were certain documents that were precious to him, interactions that he had with Obama, things that he felt were important to his legacy. So it proves that there was intent, this report. And uh, and he literally defended himself. Another interesting takeaway from the report is that he defended himself when he was interviewed by the special counsel. He said, well, what do you want from me? Every president before me has taken home classified documents. He specifically invoked Reagan. Reagan took home all sorts of classified information. That's exactly the defense that we've been saying. And many have said to defend Trump is his exact defense that Biden's using to defend himself. What do you want? Every president does this. Every president takes home classified documents. It's business as usual. The the, the problem, by the way, is that Biden was not the president. Biden was the vice president. He had no uh, powers to declassify information, unlike actual presidents and unlike Trump. So there that Biden's own defense actually ironically does not work for him, but works for Trump. But Trump gets charged with 40 felonies and Biden is exonerated. All right. So like I said, so much to get to. The House failed to impeach Mayorkas. The House failed to pass the funding bill for Israel. Congress is still dysfunctional. The Supreme Court uh, heard oral arguments in the case to disqualify President Trump because he's an insurrectionist. And uh, according to you never know until the actual ruling comes out, it's going to be ruled. I mean, I have there's no doubt whatsoever. There are only a couple of questions over here. Number one, how many Supreme Court justices will rule? There's a part of me that thinks it's going to be nine nothing or it's going to be eight one and that even the leftist justices realize that a man who was never even so much as charged, charged with insurrection, let alone you're allowing the states to decide. And he wasn't convicted of insurrection. He wasn't even charged with insurrection. Part of me thinks that even Elena Kagan is going to rule in favor of Trump. But it it may be six to three. I do not believe for a moment that Roberts, but that's the question. Could could it be that Roberts, who we know has been surprising, does unexpected things? um, Could he possibly rule against Trump? I doubt it. So we're talking six, three, maybe eight, one, maybe nine, nothing. But Trump clearly is not going to be disqualified from running for president. And why do they want to disqualify him? 
because he's an insurrectionist. Remember, he encouraged MAGA protesters. Wait, he encouraged them to remain peaceful. He encouraged them to protest, but keep it peaceful. He said it in his tweets. So that's always a telltale sign that somebody's an insurrectionist. I mean, he's like the next Fidel Castro telling your supporters to march peacefully. So we'll get to that. Now, again, we don't know based on the oral arguments how they're going to rule. But the Supreme Court justices, from their questions, they were clearly very sympathetic to Trump's case. To me, it's an embarrassment. Any lawyer... Uh, who, who actually could get up there in front of the Supreme Court and argue, oh, well, Trump, he's, he's never been convicted of insurrection. Well, was he charged with insurrection? He never been charged with insurrection. Well, who decided it? Well, uh, they decided it on their own, this court, but, you know, basically without giving Trump even a due process chance to defend himself. Oh, well, based on what? Based on videos and based on tweets where Trump is basically telling the crowd, remember, stay peaceful, don't do anything violent. All right, so we'll get to a little bit of that coming up, but but it does seem like they are no surprise, sympathetic to Trump's case here. Elon Musk, Elon Musk may have, this is egregious, may have $56 billion taken away from him. Elon Musk had this very handsome, very generous package, uh, bonus package, uh, compensation package from Tesla. And this leftist judge is basically stealing the money away from Musk, overturning the package, which how on earth does a judge, and look, obviously it's going to be appealed but how on earth does a judge have the right to step in and decide this is pure capitalism? And they're saying that, he, that, that the judge is doing it to defend the interests of the stockholders, of the shareholders. So you know, there, there is that concept there that when it's a publicly traded company, there's some leeway to act in the best interest of the shareholders. However, uh, he, so he overturned this huge compensation package, this judge, that Elon Musk is owned by Tesla, that there was a contract. And But if you look, here's the story. If you look at the details, and we are going to get into a little bit of the details here of this package. It sounds like a lot of money, $56 billion, but it's not an exorbitant package at all because it turns out Elon Musk, when they originally made the deal, he actually took a huge gamble and he had to hit a lot of metrics. He had to, he had to have a lot of growth, almost, almost unfathomable growth, growth that nobody expected to happen. And he could have literally walked away with not a dime based on this package. So it was a huge risk. So in that sense, there is absolutely nothing at all wrong and it's not exorbitant at all. So we'll get to that coming up. But again, explain to me, how do you not impeach Alejandro Mayorkas if you cannot? I mean, this man has sat there, allowed millions of illegals, allowed terrorists, allowed gangs to cross the border, allowed fentanyl in out of control, allowed hundreds, maybe thousands of Afghanis, of Chinese to cross the border. It, it, put it this way. Put it this way. If Alejandro Mayorkas was working for China, if he was a plant that was installed by China to be the DHS secretary, and he was a Chinese spy working in the interest of China or working in the interest of um, the Taliban or of Iran, he would do the exact same playbook that Mayorkas is using now. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. He's a disgrace. He smiles. He get, He testifies before Congress, right? And he just... He smirks, right? And he just dismisses. They ask him, how can you allow this to happen, this this massive, massive invasion at the border? And he smiles and says, what? The border's secure. It's 100% out of control. He lies literally right to their face. He lies with a smile on his face. It's so nonchalantly. It's 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 disgraceful. And you have like a split screen, right? So you'll have like a, a the screen of Mayorkas saying, shrugging and smirking and telling Congress, What's the problem at the border? What crisis? What crisis? It's under control. And then they'll have like a split screen. So they'll show the illegals flooding through. And uh, so so what happened over here? The vote was 216 to 214. One Republican, one Republican, Mike Gallagher, uh, Congressman Mike Gallagher, by the way, no relation. There is a conservative talk show host might named Mike Gallagher, who's you know been around for a very long time. 
And this was not, apparently he was getting a lot of nasty tweets, people angry at him, and, he's, and he says, wrong Mike Gallagher. Now Mike Gallagher is very conservative, and I guarantee you, if he were in Congress, he would have voted to impeach Mayorkas. But here, I'm going to read you, a, 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 I mean, it's just, it, it's egregious, it's inexcusable. Mayorkas is, it's a total dereliction of duty. You're going to say, well, but how do you impeach him? He's trying to do his job. Okay, he's incompetent, and maybe he's negligent, but that doesn't rise to the level of impeachment. It's not a, it's not a, it's a, it's not a high crime and misdemeanor, which is the argument that Mike Gallagher is making. Number one, 214 Republicans disagree with that, but come on. I mean, this is, he's doing this intentionally. It is by design. If, if, if you put like a 14 year old in charge of DHS and said, here, try your best, try your best. I know you're 14, but just try your best to control the border. He would do a much better job than Alejandro Mayorkas. So it's not just that Mayorkas is like asleep at the switch. This is much, much worse than that. But, you know, it's clearly, clearly done strategically and by design. So Mike Gallagher, I'll read you his excerpt here from uh, his op-ed, an excerpt from his op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, but it's it's just, it's 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 absurd. It's ludicrous. Quote, I disagree with my Republican colleagues who voted Tuesday to impeach Mr. Mayorkas. Impeachment not only would fail to resolve Mr. Biden's border crisis, but would also set a dangerous new precedent that would be used against future Republican administrations. The first article of impeachment lays out in grueling detail Mr. Mayorkas's manifest incompetence, but incompetence, incompetence does not rise to the level of high crimes or misdemeanors. You know what's so bogus about this? And I don't know what Mike Gallagher, if he's trying to hurt Mike Johnson or what sabotage Mike Johnson, which is what's happening, because Mike Johnson is turning out to be uh, a nightmare. And and I'm not saying this to be critical of Mike Johnson, because, look, Kevin McCarthy can do Kevin McCarthy's probably sitting there and feeling a little bit vindicated and thinking, oh, I, I, I told you this wasn't wasn't so easy. Because Mike Johnson's had no wins whatsoever, and he cannot his fractured party. The Republicans are so dysfunctional. But I don't blame Mike Johnson per se, but the the notion that somehow Mike Johnson would swoop in and he'd be a unifier and he would get all the Republicans on board. I mean, he was humiliated this week. Again, not humiliated in the sense that he necessarily did anything wrong, because I don't know that anybody could do anything better. But it's like an embarrassment. You need to at least canvas and you put the votes up there. And these are big fundamental votes here with Israel funding. Which, which uh, we'll get to, and uh, and then uh, impeachment for Mayorkas. We've all been eagerly awaiting. I've been sitting here for months, and I knew they would not impeach Mayorkas. They, they're still saying it might happen. You never know. They're never, definitely not going to impeach Biden. I guarantee you Biden does not get impeached. Mayorkas, I'm skeptical, but they, they're they one vote away. So I'm very hopeful. But we've been sitting and waiting, and to hold this vote, and to not be absolutely 1,000% certain that you know the results before it happens, that, to me, is a little bit of an embarrassment. But a caller said to me, a caller says, what's the deal with Mike Johnson? Like, is he even trying at this point? What is and, and I think he is. I think Mike Johnson legitimately is trying. And look, the border, he, he, the, the, this nonsense, bogus border deal that the Senate came up with, Mike Johnson basically shut that down. And I give him a lot of credit for that. We'll get to that a little bit later on. But, you know, the caller says, like, what's Mike Johnson, you know, like, is he even attempting to keep the party unified? He is. He, he definitely is. His heart's in the right place. The question is, what is with the party? Why is the party so dysfunctional? You know, they got the Democrats and they always somehow manage to caucus together. Now, the Republicans, they are a tiny, slim majority. So even one or two Veers off course. You got this big special election coming up in Long Island, as a matter of fact, to replace George Santos. So that that that's going to be very very crucial. Whether the Republicans are able to really have you know a a, a, a sort of somewhat a solid majority, not really, but 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 right now they barely have any majority. So we'll keep an eye on that. But uh, the, here's the here's the point: is for Mike Gallagher to say, "Oh, this sets a precedent. This is a dangerous precedent because the Democrats are going to use it." 
Are you kidding me? You talk about a precedent when it comes to impeachment. They impeached Trump twice for over nothing. He had a perfect phone call. He had a phone call, phone call with, 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 with Zelensky, uh, basically telling Zelensky, listen, we, you know, we're trying to investigate. There's a man going to be running for president, President Biden. And there's a lot of corruption swirling around him and Hunter and, and Burisma. And I need your help. I need information. What is wrong with that? Number one, I mean, that's a, that's a national security threat. And it turned out to be accurate. Number two, well, why was he impeached a second time? Because of telling MAGA supporters to be peaceful when they uh, when they protest against uh, the uh, what they believed was was, was massive election fraud. So th- now you're telling me that I can't impeach my orcas because I'm setting the precedent. I'm setting the precedent. Have you ever heard of anything so absurd in your life that we're setting the then impeachment precedent? They're going to use this. The, the the Democrats have proven they will use impeachment. They will use indictments. They will use every single weapon they possibly can. Everything in the arsenal. They are not waiting for Republicans to set a precedent. In fact, if Republicans would actually fight fire with fire and fight back, maybe the Democrats would shake a little bit. Maybe next time they'd be a little bit more hesitant. Maybe that would actually st- it's like Iran. It's like Biden and Iran. You know, the more you just show weakness, the more they're going to push, the more they're going to attack. So the Democrats, they're not afraid to get to get to, to get indicted, to get impeached back. So they're just going to keep impeaching. But maybe if they know that they're next, I mean, contempt and Navarro and uh, and Hunter Biden, these these Republicans are complete cowards. Now, when it comes to the, the funding for Israel, this is fascinating in ways, in a lot of ways. And this is very, very disturbing. But the Republicans finally put a, put, put put a bill on the table. This is the first time that they put a bill on the table Standalone funding for Israel, no strings attached. Now, they did it once before, but remember, they were taking money from the IRS. Here, which is a good thing, take the money from the IRS, pay for it. I have no problem with that. But some people said, well, you're politicizing it because, uh, you know, then you give people a reason to dispute it because they don't want to take have the money taken away from the IRS. Okay, so what does Mike Johnson do? He says, you know what? Standalone funding bill for Israel, $17 billion, no strings attached, no IRS funding, and it gets voted down, and it got voted down again. There were like 14 or 17 Republicans, including some Freedom Caucus members, some very conservative Republicans who say, no, we have no way to pay for this. But there's two things. This gets much worse. Now, again, it's disgraceful because they're politicizing this. Again, they're using Israeli funding, which they need so badly. Here we are. Number one, it's been four months. They're all, they're all guilty it's disgraceful. Republicans, Democrats, Biden, Schumer, anybody, you name any Republicans, I'll throw them into the mix because Israel needs the money. You send Israel the money. It should be unanimous. It should be it should not involve Ukraine. It should not involve the border. It's a disgrace. And don't compare it to Ukraine. They sent Ukraine 100 billion dollars. They haven't sent Israel a dime. Here we are four months after the simplest terror attacks, four months after the simplest terror attacks. And you got the Democrats vote and you finally get this bill. The first time you've gotten a standalone, a truly standalone bill for Israel after four months. This this should have happened four months ago. So it's a disgrace on all sides that this has never even come to the table. Now, the biggest disgrace and the biggest hypocrite of all is President Biden, because before this was voted on, Biden threatened to veto the bill. Biden said he would veto the bill or the White House, whoever it is that, you know, speaks for Biden. And Biden said it's a political stunt and a political ploy. He called it a stunt. He called it a ploy. This is the opposite of a stunt. This is the only thing. This is the only bill or the only proposal involving Israel funding that has not been a political ploy and a political stunt. This is the only one that is pure. And and the motives are very simple. And I understand with the border and they want to, you know, avoid a border issue and whatever border border deal. But this is them saying, listen, Israel needs the money. We're sending them the money. 
we're not going to hinge, we're not going to use Exploit Israel to, 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 to pass our agenda, you know, to shove our agenda down people's throats. We're not going to exploit Israel and use it as a pawn. So why did Biden threaten to veto this bill? Because if it does not include Ukraine funding, which goes, by the way, right into Zelensky's pockets, then Biden says, I'm not I'm not voting for Israel for, for, for Israel funding. I'm not going to pass. I'm not going to sign into law. I'm going to veto a bill that fund that gets sends Israel 17 billion dollars. One second. You stood there, gave a speech in Israel. And we know now it's been exposed. Biden does not care about Israel. He's not a friend of Israel. That has, that that was that was fake all along. We know that Biden had no choice in the beginning, and now his true colors come shine through. But here's the thing: Biden's supposed to be a friend of Israel, and he says, "If you pass seventeen billion dollars to Israel, no strings attached, okay? No IRS." Remember, last time he said, "Oh, you can't take away IRS funding." So you know what Mike Johnson did? He forced it down. His you know he forced Biden to to take a position. Now he didn't because they didn't pass it, but Biden still showed his colors and said, "I'm not signing this into law. I'm vetoing this bill." Because you cannot send money to Israel if you don't send money to Ukraine. Well, what happened? Why don't you care about Israel? What, what, what does one thing have to do with the other? The answer is Biden does not care about Israel. We see now he's a phony. He's no friend of Israel. He's only using Israel. He saw an opportunity because, remember, Republicans do not want to send money to Ukraine. Voters don't want to send the money to Ukraine. It's corrupt. The money just gets pocketed by the generals. That money goes nowhere, and Ukraine is losing the war. And the money's just prolonging a, a, an endless war. Once again, so we're done with that. And then Biden, then Israel suddenly needs funding. Oh, he gives a speech. Israel needs funding. Ukraine needs funding. But he doesn't care about Israel. Israel was purely for him a uh, a means to an end. And this proves it. All right. So the Super Bowl interview, you cannot make this stuff up. Biden is again ducking out of the Super Bowl interview. There's a long tradition. Obama did it. I'm pretty sure that George W. Bush did it. Trump did it, and now Biden has broken the tradition for the second year in a row where before the, during the pregame, before the actual Super Bowl, the network that is hosting, that is broadcasting the Super Bowl, will have one of its um, interviewers, one of its anchors, or one of its hosts interview the President of the United States. By the way, it's usually very entertaining, it's a little bit more lighthearted, but Trump did it with O'Reilly, O'Reilly asked Trump tough questions, Trump did it with the mainstream media networks as well, with like, you know, other, other networks, not just Fox and, and and even O'Reilly, O'Reilly, you know, I understand he's conservative, but he was always tough on Trump and he's tough on everybody. That's how that's how he is. Trump always held his own. But this is just and, and we know, of course, that they're trying to hide Biden and keep him as far away as they can. I mean, they don't want Biden to even be in the same stratosphere <clears throat> as a as a reporter. Somebody could actually ask him a question that he might ac- accidentally try to answer. I mean, everything Biden does at this point is so incredibly scripted. And despite that, he still manages to do all these blunders. But here's the thing, you know, it's, I mean, he literally cannot stammer his way through, uh, you know, answering a simple uh, question. What'd you eat for breakfast? You know, but and, and by the way, Trump says he says, I'll he says, interview me for the for the Super Bowl. He says, I'm the, the you know, the uh, I'm the I'm the presumptive Republican nominee. If if Biden won't appear for the interview, then I'll I'll do the interview instead, which I think would be an excellent idea. And I'm amazed that and it would be a, a ratings. It, it would be a magnet for the ratings. By the way, Trump said that himself. Trump said, quote, he actually, in a uh, in, in a truth social post, Trump said, quote, crooked Joe Biden has just announced he will not be doing the big Super Bowl interview. A great decision. He cannot put two sentences together. See, now, Trump, that's actually a little bit of a lie. I think they should give Trump a bunch of Pinocchios because he said that Biden cannot put two sentences together, implying that Biden can put one sentence together, which is inaccurate. But, but then Trump says, I would be happy to replace him. It would be ratings gold. 
and he's right. I mean, it would just be in, just incredibly ratings gold, and yet, of course, doesn't seem like that's going to happen. But the interesting thing that nobody's discussing, last year, and again, we know, we know Biden's not going to sit there uh, across from a reporter and answer questions. I mean, it would take them hours and months to edit, you know, uh, to make it seem like, like like Biden is even remotely functional and has any any sort of cognitive abilities at this point. But what nobody's discussing is last year, the inter- the, 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 the Super Bowl was on Fox. So Biden would have been interviewed by somebody on Fox News. O'Reilly's not there anymore. It would have been probably Brett Baer or, you know, Martha McCallum. It would have been one of the more centrist Fox hosts. But okay, you can make the case that they would have asked tough questions. This year, it's on CBS. So CBS, this is how bad things have become for Biden. That uh, you know, CBS, it, it, we're talking lobbing softball. CBS is like a you know, they, they're just they, they, they're, they're total supporters of Biden. I mean, they don't they don't even like hide it. Like this, Biden would be very much in friendly territory here, and yet he turned it down because he's just terrified that uh, they're going to ask him lob him these softball questions. By the way, I have a takeaway. Uh, we mentioned last time, and I appreciate a lot of you have either, either left messages. You can send us uh, an email. Uh, you know, we're on, of course, uh, VIN News. The, the, the Akavem show is on Yeshiva International VIN News, Nucky Radio, and other podcasting platforms. And you can send us an email at josh at vinnews.com, josh at vinnews.com. Send us an email about anything. We always appreciate them. We try to respond. We certainly read them all at some point. I try to get to them, but I do eventually read Pretty much every email that we get, which we love, so keep it coming. And we told you about a listener, a longtime listener, whose mother discovered the show, and he, and, and uh, she said, "Oh, you're not going to believe it." And he and he's you know he listens. He's been listening quite a long time, you know. So uh, we're very grateful. We appreciate his support, and he gives me feedback, and we like that. And he's he's a good guy. Seems like a really good guy. And uh, but the point is, he's been well aware of the show. And then his mother says, "Oh, I discovered this," and he listens on the the hotline, Yeshiva International, and his mother discovered it on. VIN news on the on the website on the, the the Vin podcast as they call it and she's you know so she discovered it in a different place and you know she wasn't probably going to call a hotline a lot of people are not going to call a hotline the hotline is you know a certain niche type of crowd people who have obviously have kosher phones and have a lot of internet access which is wonderful it's great so the the point is that he had mentioned it to her in passing, and she, you know, she didn't recall it was probably years ago, and then she's like, you're not going to believe what I discovered. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, I actually listened to it. You know, so, and, he, you know, he actually, know, and, and, I, and I actually know the person. I don't know if he told her that part, but, uh, you know, we, we, we're in contact. Either way, the point is that the takeaway is this. You need to tell your friends and relatives about this show multiple times a day. He mentioned it to her. And it turns out that if she would have known about it, you know, it, it didn't register. I'm not blaming anybody. It's fine. But, you know, uh, if he had, like, mentioned it a few more times and, hey, let's listen to this or try, check this out, maybe she would have discovered it sooner. Who knows how many other potential listeners there are out there? And you say to them, oh, listen, it's on this hotline, but you don't have a hotline, but uh, you have VIN News. Check it out on VIN News, and people will maybe be interested and check it out. But you have to remind them. So the takeaway is this. Reminding them, mentioning it once or twice, they might it might not register. So you basically, I'm only asking you something very simple. Just tell everyone you know, every relative and every friend, um, to listen to this show once a day. Just tell them once a day. Hey, by the way, did you check out the Akovem show? And I think that could help spread the word. But clearly, it has to be mentioned, you know, more than just once in a lifetime. All right. So this classified document uh, fiasco, total fiasco. No charges will be filed against President Biden or against anybody, of course, because they're not named Trump. 
for mishandling classified documents. The documents were, and I'm going to read you the details, some of the details. We've we, we got to still get through this whole report. Another report. We knew there'd be a report. So exciting. There's going to be a report about Hunter Biden, too, while Trump is, go, undergo, is, is, is going through trial after trial. Unbelievable felony conviction after, I should say felony indictment after indictment, hopefully not convictions. But um, the point is that we got to go through a lot of the details and we'll find out other juicy stuff. But when you read the level of mishandling of classified documents that Biden did, and, and, and so they, they, they found these documents, remember, multiple locations, including Chinatown, including the Penn Biden Center, which is, uh, of course, uh, uh, U of Penn. It's, it's, it's property of U of Penn. Biden has an office there funded by China. OK, U of Penn, that office gets funding from China. Um, the, the garage, remember, the garage in Delaware next to the Corvette, Hunter Biden slept in that garage and it was totally wide open. It wasn't being secured. It wasn't being uh, we were talking about when when Biden left office. So that house was totally not secured when Biden was not there. Who knows who had access to it? Who knows what kind of spies Hunter Biden was bringing in Ukrainians, Chinese uh, business associates? Who knows? And you, and they keep saying, well, but Biden cooperated. This is unbelievable how. Well, yeah, but Trump didn't cooperate. By the way, by the way, can you blame Trump for not cooperating? Trump is wondering who knows they're going to set him up. Look at how look at how they weaponized the DOJ. Now they want to come and get his documents. I don't blame Trump for being as protective as he could because he's been sabotaged every single time by these these DOJ. This is not this is not like normal law enforcement officials. Oh, you have to cooperate. So I can understand Trump being very, very wary and very paranoid. And who could blame it after everything that that man has been through and the Mueller investigation and the, and, 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 and all the witch hunts in January 6th and, every, and all these hoax investigations. So how can you even blame Trump for not cooperating? But fine, you give me that. Trump didn't cooperate. Okay, Biden did not cooperate. The White House covered it up for weeks. They refused to cooperate. They kept discovering it in more and more places. They lied about it. They would not let the FBI come in and look for documents. They looked for the documents themselves. The FBI, of course, gave them all sorts of leeway that they would never extend to Trump. But the reason the special counsel was appointed was because the White House was not being transparent. That's essentially what Merrick Garland said. So don't tell me, oh, well, Biden is not getting uh, uh, charged because they were cooperative. Not that it matters. You commit a crime of mishandling classified documents over and over again, hundreds of times, hundreds of documents in a bunch of offices. And oh, by the way, uh, I cooperated after the fact, after it was discovered and reported. That doesn't work. But even if it but even as a distinction between Biden and Trump, it's simply a lie. It is simply false. The other big difference, as I've said a million times, is that Trump as president, had the right, the authority to declassify anything he wanted to do. And you can very st- make a very strong case by removing the documents from the White House. That very act is an act of declassifying. There's nothing in the Constitution. There's no specific uh, definition of, of how you declassify documents, how you declassify secret and, and classified information. So it, there's like a lot of different options of how the president can do that. Maybe just saying it's declassified, maybe just thinking it. You know, we don't know, but it's not like it's spelled out anywhere. But either way, clearly Trump had the authority. So that makes this uh, alleged crime, to me, very, very watered down, diluted, if anything, as opposed to Biden, who as VP had absolutely no right whatsoever to bring these documents home. And then he goes and he basically defends and says, well, everybody does it. So here's the story with the, and it's amazing. And like I said, Republicans get charges, get indictments, Democrats get reports. And uh, it's, it's just, it, we always get reports. And, and, and remember, it, it, you're talking about a two-tiered system of justice. 
It's not even, it's it's worse than a two-tiered system of justice, but at the very least, two-tiered system of justice here on steroids, that the exact same crime, Trump and Biden, both committed, let's just argue, for argument's sake, the exact same crime, forgetting all the mitigating factors and why would Biden did it so much worse. Let's call it the same. And yet, Trump gets 40, 40 felony charges, Biden gets exonerated, just like we found with Peter Navarro and Hunter Biden, and it, it's just disgraceful. So the special counsel, Robert Hoare, he said, this is amazing, he said that if the president were charged, then he would present to a jury as a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man <clears throat> with a poor memory. Okay, so charge him and let him, what, like, what is this? Like, because the jury will get swayed by the fact that he seems so sincere and so smiley, which they won't, by the way, Biden, he snaps at reporters. Thursday night, he was snapping at reporters who were asking him, I wouldn't even call it tough questions, asking him firm, you know, fair questions. Nothing tough. And the snapping at reporters, the, he, he, when you see his true colors, when he uh, loses the facade, which he does more and more these days, Biden deep down is a vengeful human being. He's a vindictive person. He's, he's not a good, you know, he, he, he puts on a show. He's been a politician for 50 something years. But um, the fact that a jury is going to get swayed by him and be sympathetic to him. That's not a reason not to charge him. Charge the man. And we know, we know the whole, the fix is in. We know from day one that it was already decided that he wasn't going to be charged. But it's unbelievable that this is the, like the reason. And, and what Hoare is doing, what's going on over here, special counsel Robert Hoare, to me, it's very, because the Democrats are fuming. They are fuming. They're saying that Robert Hoare, he looked like he, he looks like he put together a Trump playbook because the things he says about Biden, we'll read you some of these things as I keep teasing. I'm sorry. I'm going to get there. I really will. But, uh, what Robert Hoare is doing is he's upset. He was handcuffed and they told him, listen, you're going to investigate, and Merrick Garland said to him, you're going to investigate, just like Hunter Biden, and you're going to exonerate, because you're not charging the president with classified document scandal. And Robert Hoare said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pull a James Comey. I'm going to I'm going to put out a report, a scathing report, and I'm going to be so vicious against Biden, but I'm going to exonerate him. And the reason I'm going to exonerate him is because he's too, uh, his memory's too bad, and because his dementia is too strong for him to stand trial. Uh, it, it, it's, it's really fascinating. So Hoare concluded that Biden, Hoare, H-U-R, concluded that Biden uh, willfully retained the classified material. His report describes Biden's memory with extremely harsh language. Quote, at one point, he says that Biden has significant limitations. This is fascinating. The report recounts a recorded conversation in 2017 that Biden had with his, the, his biographer, the person Mark Zwanitzer, the person who helped him write his memoirs. And Biden's recorded, they listened to Biden's recorded conversations with this uh, author, the memoir author, and his memory was bad, was painfully slow. Mr. Biden was struggling to remember events and straining to read and relay his own notebook entries. And then he says, this is a, a direct quote from the report, quote, in his interview with our office, meaning Robert Hoare, uh, Mr. Biden's memory was worse. He did not remember when he was vice president. He forgot on the first day of his interview when his term ended. And he forgot on the second day of the interview, it was a two-day interview, when his term began, he did not remember, even within several years, when his son Bo died. His memory appeared hazy when describing the Afghanistan debate that was once very important to him. He mistakenly said he had a real difference of opinion with General Carl Eikenberry. In fact, Eikenberry was an ally whom Biden cited approvingly in his Thanksgiving memo to President Obama. Hur's report stated, due to the aforementioned limitations, the jury would see Biden as a sympathetic figure. Um... Quote, we also have considered that at trial, Mr. Biden will likely present to a jury, as he did during our interview, as sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory based on our direct interactions and observations of him. He is someone for whom many jurors will try to want to identify reasonable doubt. It would be difficult to convince a jury to convict him. 
Who cares? Charge him with the crime. Let the jury decide that. But we know what's really going on over here. Here's here's a quote from The Hill. So the Democrats are more angry than Republicans over this. Quote, some of the language came off looking like a gift to Trump's presidential campaign. The report on more than one occasion refers to Biden struggling to remember things when he spoke to a ghostwriter, as well as speaking to investigators. Um, and, and and basically they recount the quotes that we just said that, that, you know, his memory was painfully slow in conversations with his ghostwriter in 2017. In his interview with our office, Mr. Biden's memory was worse. So Alex Pfeiffer, the communications director for the uh, Trump Super PAC, the MAGA Make America Great Again Super PAC, said, quote, if you're too senile to stand trial, you're too senile to be president. Joe Biden is unfit to lead this nation. Democrat strategist Paul Begala, uh, a former Clinton advisor, is furious. On CNN, he said that these are cheap shots taken at Biden. And he said that uh, the, the special counsel's treatment of the president was unfair and the references to his memory were gratuitous. Now, here's some more details about the classified documents. It's just egregious. FBI agents recovered materials from the garage, and this is when they were eventually allowed in, but after the lawyers were allowed to go through it all, who knows what else was hidden. FBI agents recovered the materials from the garage offices and basement den in Biden's Wilmington, Delaware home. Biden also kept classified notebooks in unsecured spaces at his Virginia home, as well as his Delaware home. The materials included marked classified documents about military and foreign policy in Afghanistan and notebooks containing Biden's handwritten entries about issues of national security and foreign policy implicating sensitive intelligence source and methods. Among the places classified documents were found were in the garage in a damaged open box containing numerous hanging folders, file folders and blinders. The box was in a mangled state. So they just left this stuff flying around and really, really sensitive information. Remember they're talking about Trump with some kind of plan to invade Biden and they never actually recovered that document to invade Biden. Sorry, there, there I go. Oh, wow, I'm guilty now. But to, but, but to invade Iran, Biden, Iran, basically the same thing. And uh, it turns out that uh, Biden had much more, uh, very highly classified. And, and that one with Iran, that one they never found. They just have a recording supposedly of Trump bragging about it. All right, so Tucker Carlson is being slammed for interviewing Vladimir Putin. Now, this is absurd. Now, I'm not a fan of, I I obviously, uh, I'm not a fan of Vladimir Putin. I'm also not a fan of Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson, a lot of things that he does, I find very disturbing. But he has every right to interview Vladimir Putin. Now you have Europe. Europe is threatening to place a travel ban on Tucker Carlson and to and to place sanctions on Tucker Carlson. And and number one, obviously, you're infringing on his freedom of speech. But like the hypocrisy here, it's because Tucker's conservative, Tucker Carlson, because you have reporters. I've had to sit here and watch reporters interview uh, Iranian President Raisi, Iranian President, uh, former President Ahmadinejad and the, the Iranian foreign minister. The, the Iranians, they'll go on U.S. television. They'll be in America for the U.N. You know, uh, General Assembly. And they'll be interviewed and they get asked these softball questions and they spew this vicious propaganda. They tell lies about Israel, lies about the United States. They talk about how the nuclear program is uh, is is a, is a peaceful nuclear program. It's for nuclear energy purposes. They will spew propaganda. They'll come off looking like angels. And I have to sit there and watch it tearing my hair out. And and and, and the worst part is, by the way, that these, these media, these networks, these mainstream media, these fake news media – Right. They don't editorialize. Right. They just report what Iran says is fact. Like, oh, Iran claims that nuclear program purely peaceful purposes. And they, they, they spew propaganda. They're a propaganda machine. And you'll tell me, well, but they don't editorialize. They just report the facts. So they're just telling you what Iran said. You know, when they editorialize, when it's Trump, you know, how many times I've heard them talk about Trump it, claiming the election was rigged, saying the election was rigged. The election, the results were 
uh, were, were, were fake in 2020 and that, and that the election was stolen. And they'll say false reports. They'll say Trump falsely claimed, which is editorializing because they have no idea. Nobody has any proof one way or the other, but it's certainly not a, not a given. It's certainly not a fact. Oh, Trump falsely claims that the election was stolen. Trump falsely claims that the election was rigged, which it clearly was rigged. That there's no question about. So they editorialize when it's Trump, but when it's the Ayatollah or when it's Iran, they don't editorialize, which is just, you know, egregious. But but now Tucker Carlson, I have to sit there and, and Tucker Carlson's the bad guy and they want to sanction him and, and remove his free, suppress his freedom of speech because he's interviewing. And by the way, Megyn Kelly interviewed Vladimir Putin a few years ago. Nobody had any problem with that. Dan Rather interviewed Saddam Hussein. And, and that's what journalists do. And a lot of people are defending Tucker Carlson, but uh, not the Europeans. It's unbelievable. All right. So um, a Trump appeals court has ruled. I'm sorry. An appeals court has ruled that Trump has no immunity in the January 6th trial. That was one of Trump's appeals. Uh, the January 6th trial, he was claiming that as president, they had no right to um, prosecute him because he was acting in his capacity as president. I thought that was a relatively strong argument. I'm not a constitutional scholar, but it sounded you know, pretty solid. But uh, either way, it's probably going to go to the Supreme Court. So there's going to be a long delay in that trial. Elon Musk, as I said, and I know, and look, Nikki Haley, Nevada, Nevada's a circus. I'm not getting into it now. I know a lot of you want to know, or some of you want to know about the caucuses and the primaries. Nevada had a caucus. And no, I'm sorry, they had a primary, and Trump was not on the ballot in that primary, but that primary is just exhibition. It's not real. It doesn't actually, no delegates are coming to anybody as a result of that primary. So it's bizarre. And again, not getting into the details right now, but Nikki Haley lost, but she lost. And look, Nikki Haley, she's been a strong candidate. She's done a lot of good things. Nobody thought that this, that this race would come down. She'd get anywhere near Trump. It's not, it's not even close. It's a one person race, not a two person race, but Nikki Haley has been much more effective than anybody thought. Give her credit. However, it's embarrassing. She lost. And when's she going to bow out? Cause she's going to lose in South Carolina big time. And that's her, that's her home state. And that's going to be an embarrassment, but she, but she is still raising money. But Nikki Haley, she lost to, None of the above. The, the option was none of these candidates. There were a bunch of candidates on, on the on the list, including Nikki Haley. And then there was an option that the Trump supporters put on, which is none of these candidates. And she lost heavily to none of these candidates to that option. That's embarrassing. Meanwhile, it doesn't matter because the caucus is re- is what gives the uh, the delegates in Nevada, similar to Iowa. And she's not on the ballot in Nevada. She didn't make the ballot, and Trump did. So we know who's going to win that. Elon Musk. As I said, the court basically, all right, we'll have to do this quickly because, wow, we're, we're really long here. But uh, this leftist court, they're punishing Elon Musk. Why? Number one, because he's wealthy and they cannot stand wealth. He's a capitalist. He's a wealthy businessman. He's an entrepreneur. They hate that. They despise that. And number two, because he's pro-free speech. And he's, you know, he's uh, he's not even pro-Trump, but he's but he, but he is waging war on the woke leftist mob, the media. And, uh, and the Democrats. So, but here's the thing. So $56 billion package sounds like a lot, right? For a bunch of years. But he took a huge gamble. He took a huge gamble. They could have ended up with nothing. And without getting into all the weeds of this, the, the, he accomplished metrics and benchmarks. He basically, when he signed this deal, when, whenever it was, I guess it's a 10-year deal. So uh, I guess it was 10 years ago. I'm not sure. But when he signed this deal, uh, they did not expect him. He had to keep up this incredible, incredible level of growth, which Tesla did. But nobody, nobody expected... Musk to possibly meet all these metrics and to possibly earn the whole $56 billion. Basically, the pay package, this is unprecedented. Oh, it was it was placed in 2018. So I'm not sure. I guess he's only getting part of it now or maybe he already beat the metrics. I don't know. But either way, it was a zero. It was a the huge risk because he could have gotten zero. He said if he doesn't meet the metrics, he's not taking a dollar. He could have literally worked as CEO for years of Tesla and not made a dime. Okay, so that's why you get the big payoff. It's a high risk, high reward. It's very legit. It was worth it for Tesla because he made Tesla so much money. If somebody had bought the stock 
uh, in, bought stock in Tesla when he first signed this deal. It's up a thousand percent since then. It was even higher at a certain point. So this 10 year deal, Musk was eligible to win one set of options, which is basically one percent of the total value of the company. Every time Tesla hit a series of up to 12 targets, the targets were tied to increases in Tesla's market capitalization in 50 billion dollar increments. So this is he had to do the impossible. He basically grew it from 50 from a 50 billion dollar company to a 650 billion dollar company. He increased the company's value by 600 billion dollars. And as a result, he said, listen, I'm not getting any money if I don't do this. But if I do do this, I'm going to get another however much, another one percent increase, which was a lot of money. Um, every in, in increments of 12, but it has to keep going. The growth, the, the rate, the metrics that he had to hit, the targets that he had to hit were insane. And he did it. And he did it. Nobody ever dreamed. And, and there was one Tesla model that was big at the time when he signed this. And uh, nobody expected it. It was it was it was flopping. That that Tesla model was not uh, was, was not getting sold and was not was not earning money, was not generating money. And he basically took a huge gamble, said, but if I succeed, then I'm going to make an afford, I'm going to make a fortune. And that's what he did. He succeeded. And now a judge has ripped it away. All right. The Supreme Court has heard arguments uh, about Trump being removed to the ballot section three, uh, you know, the, this Colorado case. But it's going to re- really be relevant to the whole country because he's an insurrectionist. Section three of the 14th Amendment says an insurrectionist is barred from holding off the office of the president of the presidency. Now, the apparently these justices, and I got to listen to the recording, but apparently they gave the lawyers a hard time. The lawyers arguing against Trump because it's ridiculous. Number one, uh, Trump was never convicted of insurrection. Number two, Trump was never charged with insurrection. And number three, a state can't just decide that on their own. So it's absurd. And, um, you know, one of the arguments that they're making is that uh, a decision would risk a potential constitutional showdown for Congress on the day they count the electoral votes. Basically, Trump has argued that Trump's lawyers argued that Trump should not be barred. One of the reasons is because Section three of the 14th Amendment only prohibits a candidate from holding office, not running for office. So you got to leave him on the ballot. And that could this could be a major showdown over here, theoretically, uh, the day that Congress counts the electoral votes, which ironically is, you know, the I don't know if it's January 6th, but it's the say, you know, that that, that is that same date that uh, or a close enough date. But January 6th, the famous infamous January 6th was the date that Congress counted the electoral votes. So there could be a big showdown depending on how the Supreme Court rules. So this is pretty interesting to keep an eye on. Caller made the point, and Trump was asked about his VP pick. Of course, he hasn't uh, announced yet who he's going to choose, although he seems to maybe have decided. But he said, listen, the first job here, the first, my first criteria is, this is fascinating. Trump said, my first criteria in picking a running mate is somebody who's able to step in and be president on day one. Somebody who, if something were to happen, the president becomes incapacitated, somebody who could step in and replace the president. And the caller said, hey, isn't that interesting? You look at Biden's uh, criteria and it's like, well, what's the skin color? What's the gender? Well, we need we need a woman and we need her to be black. And, uh, you know, they, they, they just look at the, the, the silly DEI criteria. And Trump is like, wait a second, let's look at the actual merits. Let's look at the qualifications for the actual job. Vice president has one job. Constitutionally, people don't realize this. The vice president's job is to kind of sit there. They could could have a day job because the the vice president has no official constitutional duties or responsibilities. One thing to be there, to be the backup plan, to be the plan B. So really good point. And all right, we'll have to end it there. That's going to do it. I know, I know that CBP supported the border bill that uh, now looks like it's not going to pass. But uh, CBP, we, we, we do not like this border bill, but Customs Border Patrol, they do like the border, the border deal, the, the, the border deal, the bipartisan border deal that McConnell and Schumer came up with. And I can explain. I can explain that, but we will have to leave it for now. And I have a caller saying to me, 
I don't care about the border. Enough about the border. It's all everybody talks about. Who cares? All right, that's going to do it for today. I care about the border, but there's a lot of other stuff going on. We will see you next time.